Uh, open your Bibles to Luke chapter 5. That's where we're going to be today. Uh, Luke chapter 5. Um, and really the next two messages in Luke chapter 5 in this series that we're calling Grassroots God. Um, the next two Sundays really could be entitled the same thing. Jesus's authority and audacity to fish for outsiders. His authority and his audacity to fish for outsiders. Part one is today, part two next Sunday. In Luke 5, Dr. Luke records four different scenes in Jesus's ministry where his authority is demonstrated and he has the audacity to reach out to and keep company with outcasts and sinners. We will see Jesus demonstrate his authority to offer a new way of life, and that new way of life is found only in relationship with him. In fact, that's what we celebrated in the Lord's Supper, that that's only possible, not because of us earning it, but because of his grace and mercy, saving us and then um, uniting us with himself. Um, And we're also going to see in these two Sundays, these two scenes, uh, or four scenes, we're going to see Jesus' very intentional involvement with these outsiders to call people to join him in his mission to seek and to save that which was lost, which is the key verse in Luke 19.10 for all of Luke's gospel. He's saying, if you're an outsider, if you wonder, like, I don't know if I belong, uh, I don't really have a religious background or whatever, he writes to a young man named Theophilus and says, no, 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 let me, let me, I've put together an orderly account so that you can know for sure that Jesus you trusted in, he actually came to seek folks like you and to save folks like you from your sin, from the penalty of sin, and therefore make you uh, a part of his body. And then being part of his body, being on mission with him to seek and to save others who are on the outside. We said that Luke's gospel is to reassure believers like Theophilus, and to surprise non-believers. In fact, and through that surprise, inviting you to consider him. Who is this Jesus who does these things that are not the norm, that are miraculous, and who approaches and goes after and invites into relationship those that we wouldn't expect he would go to? And so Jesus, Luke wants us to see and be um, drawn to Jesus through surprise. That he doesn't do things the way we'd expect him to do at times. Now, we are to model um, in our own lives this uh, movement uh, of Jesus's toward outsiders. We're to do that in our own lives. But I want you to hear the emphasis for Dr. Luke in these four scenes is actually not so much Jesus is your great example. It's actually to emphasize Jesus's authority over creation and his authority over defilement. It's also his authority to forgive sins, this is next week, and to explain why he goes to the outsider and not the insider. And so that's not what we would expect. That doesn't fit um, the the norms of his day. And as we go through these scenes, um, we're going to see he also won't fit the norms we may have wanted to assign to him. We We may find what Jesus does or says unexpected. And that's part of the key to going, know him, if you know him, know him more. If you don't know him, know him as he's revealed himself and as God has made sure he was revealed in scripture, okay? So next Sunday, we're gonna explore explore the two who got up 
Today, it's going to be the two who fell down in front of, at the feet of this Jesus. Would you stand in honor of God and his word? We're going to be in Luke chapter 5, verses 1 to 16. Uh, Meet me there in your copy. It'll also be in the screens. I'm going to read aloud. You just follow along silently in your copy of God's word as I read. We're going to read verses, the first scene in verses 1 through 11. Now it happened that while the crowd was pressing around him, that's Jesus, and listening to the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. That's another way of saying Sea of Galilee. And Jesus saw two boats lying at the edge of the lake, but the fishermen had gotten out of them and were washing their nets. And he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little way from, uh, little way from the land. And he sat down and began teaching the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out in the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered and said, Master, we, we worked hard all night and we caught nothing. But I will do as you say and let down the nets. When they had done this, they enclosed a great quantity of fish and their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boats for them to come and help them. And they came and filled both of the boats so that they began to sink. Just imagine it right now in your mind. Two boats full of fish so much that they're sinking. Verse 8, But when Simon Peter saw that, he fell down at Jesus' feet, saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For amazement had seized him and all his companions because of the catch of fish fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not fear. From now on you will be catching men. When they brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So I want you to note a couple of things in the scene. Uh, This first scene of a man who fell down. And it's one that Jesus has already trafficked with some. Simon, uh, Simon Peter. We know him as Peter, so you'll hear that interchangeably. Um, He's the main focus of Jesus's interaction and encounter. There are others there. There are others on the beach side who see, witness this miracle. Um, Peter's brother, Andrew, is there. And James and John, they had uh, some level of fishing partnership. And they'd had a rough night. They caught zero fish. And they come in and Jesus is teaching. And notice that Jesus kind of forms both an, an ability to get enough far back, just like I'm a little bit raised here. It's not to raise me up. It's just really so that you can see me a little better. And it's hopefully you can hear me better. And Jesus wants to be heard. He wants this to be anyone who's there to hear. And so he creates, if you will, a lake amphitheater. Um, He told the AV guys, hey, put me in a boat and put me out a little bit and I'll get some sound projection. That's what he's doing. And notice Jesus's posture. Look, Look at the verse. It says that he sat down to teach the people. I just simply want you to note this because that was, that was a norm, but only if you're a rabbi or a priest, one who would teach God's people, he sat down. He sat down to teach people. Now, we saw this, if you were here uh, with us, when he uh, was in a synagogue of his hometown. He read the scripture, and then he sat down. So he's He's assuming the posture of a rabbi. Rabbis have the 
if you will, the, the God-given authority to interpret God's word, to teach God's word or whatever. But rabbis are also looking for followers. They are those who are actually sought out um, to be followed. So he sits down like a, a rabbi would. And he came also in this, not only is he there to teach the people in general, but specifically he's got his eyes on Simon and these other few others he wants to call them to follow him and to serve with him. But first, he's going to further authenticate himself and his beach teaching with this miracle. Now, you need to know that they um, would fish at night. Even here, we know this. Like uh, We're probably just now eking back into fishing season around here because it's just, well, it's still hot today, sorry. <laughs> Maybe in a month, okay? But why? The heat the fish go down deep. Okay, so at, at, at night you could fish because they would rise to feed. So that's the norm. Fishing would be done at night. And fishermen knew this. This is what they did. They would fish all night, come in, probably eat some of their catch for breakfast and crash. Their, their day's work, which is a night's work, is done. But Peter and his boys, Jesus says, hey, let's go put out and put out your nets. Okay, they're not rod and reeling. It's nets. Put out your nets. Well, you'd need the fish to be of a certain level, surface level in order to catch them. They'd caught nothing. What Jesus is asking them is not the norm. What's to be expected from this? Peter going, all right, because you've asked. We caught nothing last night because you've asked. He will obey him and he will do it. What's expected is, see Jesus, nothing. Our nets got wet. That's it. We caught water. But what happens? Well, first of all, Peter's going to quickly find out, and we need to learn this as well, that Jesus knows more about your job than you ever will. Jesus, um, being called master by Peter, says, all right, because you're the master, I will do it. He obeys the Lord, again, going against the norms and his own experience and expertise in his industry. It's not Jesus' industry. He's a carpenter and a teacher. What's the result? This immediate flurry of fish, you can just see them. Uh, if, if you've ever been somewhere where you see, uh, if you've ever gone deep sea fishing, a lot of times they'll even kind of try to prime the pump and they'll chum the water. They'll throw some stuff out to get the fish popping. Well, they are just popping and there's a flurry of them and they're caught in the nets and now the nets are breaking. They're putting in their boats. The nets are breaking and the boats are sinking. And it's obvious to all because they're doing this at Jesus telling them to do so at a time when you don't expect to catch fish. It's obvious to all there's something bigger than what we know going on here. This is a miracle and it's a miraculous catch of fish What's their response? Amazement. A couple of times, talks about that they're amazed and they're gripped. There's this gripping fear, particularly, that Peter is overcome by. He's undone. So this isn't a ho-hum, oh, well, Jesus, that was nice, or, hey, can you come back tomorrow? <laughs> Let's just keep this business rolling. He is undone. He is gripped with fear. Why? Because Simon is convicted of the person of Jesus being the Christ. He's convicted of Jesus' person, and then he's convicted as he gets a glimpse, a little bit more of a glimpse of who Jesus is, 
Now he's convicted because he gets a whiff of who he is, and he falls down. I'm assuming he's gotten back to the beach. He's run to the beach to fall down at Jesus' feet, unless Jesus is in the boat still. But he's falling down at his feet. And what does Jesus say? Do not fear. Do not fear. From now on, you will be catching men. To be in the presence of God, to recognize that you're in the presence of God or God working through someone, there's an awe, there's a, uh, a humbling effect that happens. There's a fear, a, a reverence, even a trembling he says, do not fear. From now on, you'll be catching men. The word catching uh, can, has the idea of literally of being captured alive. You're capturing alive these fish. They're still alive and flopping. He says, you're going to do the same, but with men. You're going to capture them alive so that they'll be more alive than they ever have been because they'll begin to follow me like you do. And so Jesus has the authority over creation to cause this miraculous catch. But he also has the authority and the ability to take an ordinary man, Simon, and to give him an extraordinary mission. Mark's account of this in Mark 1, Jesus invites Peter, Andrew, James, and John. Um, Mark doesn't include the do not fear part, and he says it a little different. He says it this way, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Follow me, this is Jesus speaking, and I will make you fishers of men. This is actually the call on every one of our lives, everyone in this room, every one of our lives as believers is to be disciples of Jesus who make disciple-making disciples. The question would be, well, how are you currently, how are you currently investing yourself to obey his call for you to make disciples? If we're honest, most of us know that this is our commission. We know Matthew 28. We know that, you know, go therefore to all the nations and make disciples, baptizing them and teaching them everything I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always. We know that. Many of you have memorized it, can quote it. And yet many of us are not actively engaged in disciple-making. Why? Well, some of us, uh, we're, not, we're not really sure we have what it takes. We're not sure that we've got the competency. We, we, we know we'll bungle it. We know we just, I don't have what it takes, Lord. Some of us maybe just aren't sure. We, we know a little bit, but we're just not sure how to get started. Or maybe the reason that you or I hesitate with that is that we overcomplicate it. We overcomplicate what making disciples looks like. We're trying to define it. It's like a page long of this is what discipleship is in this grandiose Webster's de, you know, definition. And so it can just cause us you know, paralysis by analysis or definition too long, I'm out. Jim um, Putman is his name, has uh, several good um, primers, if you will, on discipleship. And he says, you know, and he points out, actually, as we make it overcomplicated and therefore we don't enter into it, into being a part of Jesus' mission to make disciples, he says, he points out the beautiful simplicity that maybe 
We're not really sure how to define it. That definition evades us or whatever. Maybe, perhaps, the definition of discipleship is Jesus' invitation. In other words, instead of trying to wordsmith it and wrangle it down and go, I know exactly the, the, what discipleship means and what it looks like, he goes, maybe the definition of discipleship is the invitation. What is he talking about? And from Mark, it's follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Luke's account, you will begin catching men, not just fish. But the point is, the invitation is follow me. As you follow me, I will transform you. I will make you. I will equip you. I will provide you opportunity. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Luke lets us know that Simon Peter was so undone that Jesus reassures him, don't fear. If I have the authority over creation, over fish, to bring you boat sinking loads of fish, imagine what I can do through you, Simon, through you, buddy. Imagine what I could do through you as you join me on my mission. Do not fear from now on you'll be catching men. What's the so what from this first scene? Three things. First, Jesus is the Son of Man. That's what we know Luke is letting us know. He's Messiah, the Son of Man. That means he can relate to all of us, but it also means he is Messiah. He's God's appointed, chosen, anointed one to bring about what God wants done. But number one, Jesus, the Son of Man, has authority over creation. He can turn water to wine in John 2. He can cause, when it's been a fishless night, he can cause your boats to sink with fish. He has authority over creation. Secondly, Jesus transforms sinners like Peter, like me, like you. He transforms sinners into servants and fishermen into fishers of men. And thirdly, following Christ involves great cost. Sometimes that's financial. Sometimes that's relational. Sometimes that's occupational. Sometimes that's geographical. But following Jesus, will, the world, there will be a cost. What was the cost to these fishermen? Well, they had a lucrative business, especially now. <laughs> you have boats, you have nets, you have families. This was not a small thing, verse 11, that they left immediately leaving their nets and followed him. Well, that's the first man that fell down. The second man that fell down is in verses 12 to 16. We're going to see Jesus now. He was fishing for men to join him in his mission. Now he's, we're going to see him fishing for a social outsider. And we're going to see the Son of Man's authority over defilement. You don't have to stand back up, but follow along with me in verse 12. While he was in one of those cities... This is still in the Galilean region, not in Jerusalem. Behold, there was a man covered with leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and he implored him saying, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And he stretched out his hand and touched him saying, I am willing, be cleansed. And immediately, and immediately the leprosy left him. And Jesus ordered him to tell no one. That's strange, not expected. 
But go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing, just as Moses commanded, as a testimony to them. But the news about him was spreading even farther, and large crowds were gathering to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus himself would often slip away to the wilderness and pray. So we have a leper who's a social outsider, who's the second person who falls down before Jesus, and that falling down is the postured response of going, I'm in the presence of power, of authority, of God's man himself. A leper's lot, first of all, you need to know, um, because we don't traffic um, very much in our, our part of the world with leprosy. This may or may not be leprosy or Hansen's disease as we think of it. It could be, or um, it could be that, or it could be any of a number of skin diseases, all which um, put this person in social isolation. I want you to see this from Leviticus. This will count for you reading Leviticus this year in 2022. Leviticus chapter 13. Here's the plight of a leper. If you have or are suspected of having any of these leprous skin diseases or defilements, Here's the plight. As for the leper who has the infection, his clothes shall be torn and the hair of his head shall be uncovered and he shall cover his mustache and cry, unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean all the days during which he has the infection. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. What's the camp? The camp is the people of God in community. He shall live alone outside the community. And when he's anywhere close, he must let them know or remind them, unclean, unclean, keep your distance. The leopard was required to these things, to live outside the community, uh, to, to um, show mourning, by tearing outer garment, uh, going bald. I know some of you are like, well, that's not by choice for me. Um, but they had to go bareheaded. That was another way to let others know. You had to cover your mouth so as to hide your beard. This was done uh, in other situations as a way to lament or give lamentation for the dead. You, 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 you covered your, your beard uh, as a sign of, of making lamentation for the dead. And then the leper, most of all, had to warn passersby by crying out, unclean, 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 unclean. Now imagine if coming here uh, just on your way, because a leper wouldn't have been uh, able to be in the community, right? But just out in the parking lot, they're just walking across to go to get some food at the grocery but you're close enough and you get out of your car and unclean, unclean. That would jar us. It would alarm us. And we'd all immediately be on alert. We'd immediately, as part of that alert, go, how do I distance and make my life safe compared to that, this leper? Lepers could not speak to anyone except for this announcement. They couldn't speak to anyone, and they couldn't receive a greeting. 
Remember before 2020, you had never heard of social distancing. Well, this was the leper's lot because they had to stay six feet away. And most of the time, people would stay up to 100 feet away depending on which way the wind was blowing. Now think for a moment the effect of the last two years on you personally of isolation. And we were all sort of part of it. But only the lepers were assigned to be distant, to be isolated, to have no conversation, to have no face-to-face interaction, for people not to look at their faces. Imagine that. Six feet away, that's what they had to do. Contrary to tradition, what does this leper do? This leper approaches Jesus. That is not the norm. That is out of bounds to, compared to tradition. He approaches Jesus for healing. I want you to notice this because it's going to intensify as we go along. I want you to be observant of the contrast between when people approach Jesus and religious leaders of his day. I want you to notice Jesus' approachability. He's God in the flesh. Now, this leper may not have put all that together yet. He's God in the flesh. God, who is perfect in every way, without spot, without blemish, who is perfect in his person, who is perfect in his character, who is perfect in his dealings, who can have nothing to do with sin, and particularly leprosy in their context, was associated with sin. That's why um, he even says here, Luke will use, you would use the word, they were cleansed from leprosy, not healed from leprosy. So if you imagine that, and if Jesus is at least God's man representing him, and the leper's like, I'm not sure what to do with you yet, but I know you're from God, or you got some of God's authority and power, or whatever it is, you would say, well, God wouldn't want to have anything to do with me. No, this leper, this leper sees something in Jesus. He sees his approachability. And out of bounds with the traditions and norms of the day, he would not have done this with the priest or the religious leaders because you didn't go to them for cleansing. You would go to them if you thought you had been cleansed. And he falls down before him. Imagine how this isolated lifestyle worsened by you shouting over and over again, unclean, unclean. I know that's unnerving you. That's on purpose. Imagine how that shapes how you see yourself. You believe that there's nothing within you that's commendable to God. Thus, the leper, he goes and he falls down before him. It's the perfect posture to receive grace. So he asks, not if Jesus is capable, but is he willing? He's saying, I know you're capable. I've heard what you've done elsewhere. I know if you're willing, I can be cleansed. Mark's gospel tells us that Jesus at that moment was filled with compassion 
Compassion for us literally means to suffer with. It's a gut reaction. And Jesus had a visceral reaction to what he saw in this man. His affliction, his pain, the loneliness in his eyes, but the glimmer of trust and hope. And then the climax of this encounter, as Jesus saw him and he was filled with compassion, he stretches out his hand and he touches this man. How long has it been? We don't know. But how long has had this man's hands gone without the touch of a non-leprous hand on his? Perhaps it had been a decade or more. Perhaps he was a husband who had once known the embrace of his wife. Perhaps he was a father who had once known his children in his lap, investigating his beard and holding his hand. But for years, he's not known even one touch. The loneliness would have to eat away at you as much as the leprosy ate away at your body. See, I told you, be alert. Look for where the norms aren't happening, where Jesus does something unexpected. People avoided lepers, but Jesus touched him. Jesus could have healed him without a touch. We'll see that elsewhere. Jesus, you can just say the word and it'll happen. Jesus could have healed him without a touch, but the healing shows his power, shows his authority over defilement, but his touch showed his personal care. For this bearer of God's image, even though the way his, God's image gets born in him is, is quite malformed and is particularly sad and tragic. That's how he approached Jesus. That's how Jesus responded to him. I want you to see, uh, many of you have seen the series, The Chosen. I just want you to see, we've gone through it from God's word, and you've heard the plight of the leper. Just imagining that, of what it must have been like, however long in, uh, this man had been isolated. Feel that. And then I want you to see this. Observe um, how the leper approaches Jesus the reaction of some of Jesus' followers, and notice Jesus' responses to him, and then we'll come back. It's a leper. Stay back. Cover your mouth. Don't breathe his air. Don't come any closer. It's okay, John. It's okay. Rabbi, 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 Rabbi it's disease. You Please don't turn the wish from me. I won't. Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Only if you want to, I submit to you. My sister, she was a servant at the wedding. She told me what you could do. I know you can heal me if you are willing. 
Jesus tell the man not to tell anyone not to tell anyone what happened to him but he does tell him to go show himself to the priest well he does that because unless this leper who's now healed or cleansed unless he's recognized as clean which means he would have to go through the proper process which is about a week long if he didn't do that he would be a he would not be a valid witness he would not be one who'd be restored back to the community. His witness would be nullified. The second thing is that I want you to see this. Christ wanted to generate an investigation into his person and his claim to be Messiah. Jesus is initiating conflict. Josephus, the Jewish historian, said that lepers were treated as if they were, in effect, a dead person. To the rabbis, the cure of a leper was as difficult as raising a person from the dead. So when the cleansed man goes, as Jesus tells him, to present himself to the priest, the priest would have to ask, how did this happen? The evidence would then have to be presented to the Sanhedrin for investigation and final declaration that, okay, indeed, this person was cleansed, which is likely why next week we're going to see a group of investigating religious leaders in the crowded house where Jesus is going to be teaching and some people are going to lower their paralytic friend through the roof, but they're sitting there and they're watching. They're investigating. Why? Because that's what had to be done, but they're also, Jesus has now raised the ante, He's initiating conflict, and it's going to really come to a boil in a few weeks. But I want you to hear that. Don't for a second think that poor Jesus was a victim. He just, didn't they know he was a good teacher and a kind man? And why did these Pharisees and Sadducees? Jesus initiated it. He's not a doormat. He's not milk toast. He knows exactly what he's doing. 
He's initiating conflict. He's initiating the investigation because he wants them. He's giving them a chance even to see the signs and to see how they point that he is Messiah. And so he's initiating that. But that's next week. For today, we're looking at the two who were never the same after Jesus revealed himself, his power, and he also revealed his compassion. These are the two who fell down. And as we seek to know the Lord more and to walk in awe of him and in allegiance to him, what does Luke want you and me to see and to know? Who is this Jesus that Luke wants us to see and know from these two scenes? Well, in scene one, we want, he wants us to see that Jesus has authority over creation, that Jesus is master over our lives, and that he's not finished with his followers. Peter was in process. He'd already been following Jesus a little bit. He's in process. He's going to keep being in process, and then he's going to really blow it and fail, and then Jesus is still not finished with him. Take heart with that. Also, don't give yourself then the excuse to say, you know what, I'm not worthy to be in relationship with him in that way or to serve him. I'm sidelined. He says, I'm not finished with you. Scene number two, Jesus has authority over defilement, and Jesus' compassion gives him unmatched approachability. Some of you, more than anything else, need to hear that this morning. He's approachable. He suffers with you when you are afflicted or sidelined or cast aside as damaged goods. He sees you feels deeply in his guts, and he moves toward you. Also, that in that scene too, Jesus is the one who initiates conflict with the religious leaders. And Jesus has the power not only to restore this man's body, but to restore any person to community. The two who fell down before Jesus, what was their response? Simon Peter in scene one, he fell down. He fell down and said, depart from me. Why? Because he knew when I'm in the presence of this one who's without sin, he should have nothing to do with me. Depart depart from me, for I am a sinful, unclean man. Jesus' response, do not fear. From now on, you'll be catching men. Peter, I'm not finished with you. We're just getting started. I have purposes for you. How did Simon Peter and his fishing partners respond? They brought their boats to land. They left everything, and they followed him. Think about that as you hear but are tempted to hold yourself back from fully following Jesus. Their business hit an all-time high with one of the greatest catches ever and probably the most memorable day at work ever, and they leave the business behind. That doesn't mean that's the call for you and for me to leave our business necessarily. But they walk away to follow Jesus. Why? Because they can't put their finger on everything, but they can sense in their bones that knowing Jesus and serving him and serving with him is more valuable than boats full of fish. Scene two, what's his response? The leper, opposite of Peter, who said, um, depart from me, for I'm a sinful man. The leper actually says, draw near to me, for I'm unclean. Jesus' response, he moves toward him in mercy, 
and he touches him, he cleanses him, and he restores him to community. What scenes these are of our Savior and Lord. What scenes these are, scenes of grace in the lives of two men. If we could hear, imagine if we could hear Peter tell us what it would be, what it was like to be sinking in his boat that was just overflowing with fish and look up to see the eyes of Jesus. What would Peter tell us about Jesus from that day? And the leper, imagine how precious each held hand, each embrace, even each conversation became for him after Jesus changed him forever. How often would this former leper, how, lof, how often would he be moved to tears in thanksgiving? How eager would he be to be with his life group or to worship with his church family? How about my response and yours? Falling down is the, the best posture to be receptive to his grace and his mercy, which we all need. Three questions. How do you see, how do you see Jesus? Do you see him as irrelevant to your business, to the real day-to-day of life? Do you see him as nice, but frankly a bit powerless to do much about your life's purpose or your life's pain? How about how do you see others? Perhaps someone at your work or another parent where you have kids on the same sports team and it's very obvious to you that they are very far from God. How do you see them? How do you think that they see, how do, how do you think that they think you see them? How could your face reflect Jesus' mercy, patience, and grace to them? Are they someone that Jesus has for you to fish for and catch for him? Or think about a fellow believer who might be trapped in a pattern of sin. Are they reminded that Jesus is not finished with them through how you treat them? You're sticking with them, your gentle and timely encouragement. For you students, you middle schoolers, you high schoolers, you elementary, perhaps there's a student at your school who seems every day at lunch to sit by themselves. They may not be a leper, but they're isolated and they're alone. How could you be the feet of Jesus that move toward them, invite them to sit with you? How could Jesus use you so that they know his care? And I introduced this to you a few weeks ago, but I'm gonna say it by way of reminder because it's been so good for me to be reminded. When you see somebody and you're like, they're not like me, or I definitely don't want to be like them, or what, whatever the case may be, wherever you are, especially if you're in a grocery store or the airport or whatever, the simple exercise that I borrow from Andy Crouch is when you walk in that grocery store, just say, all right, today I'm going to pray, or you walk in your school, every person I see, I'm going to, in my mind, we're good. <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to say this out loud and be cringy and weird, okay? As I'm walking in my school or the grocery store at work or whatever, I'm just going to say in my mind, image bearer, image bearer, image bearer. You see, a leper was no longer treated like an image bearer. Now, it was part of what was prescribed for them, 
but yet how quickly that distance causes us to just not even see them. But if you just say image bearer in your mind, at least for me, it's been like, you know what? I can't put them in a category. I can't discount their personhood. I can't think of myself as better than them. And maybe, just maybe, I might become fascinated to know their story or at least pray for them as I say image bearer. And then lastly, how do you think Jesus sees you? Some of you barely got here today, and some of you, out of a conviction, you're like, I shouldn't show up. I'm, I'm so swallowed up in my own sin. Maybe you've been blowing it in sinfulness, or you've just been ignoring him. How do you think Jesus sees you? You say in your mind, sure, Jesus is full of grace and all that, and he comes close to me, but he's got to hold his nose. He's got to roll his eyes. He's got to be ready to be done with me. Jesus is not trigger happy. He's not harsh. He's not reactionary. He's gentle and humble in heart. That's why he can invite us, all you who are weary and heavy laden, all of you who have been cast aside, all of you who are suffering, you're so lonely right now. All of you who are trapped in sin, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You see, Jesus, and from Dane Ortland, I get this. He talks about God's yearning heart, that God in his yearning heart loves to deliver and to re-deliver sinners, to rescue us when we find ourselves drowning in the sewage of our lives. I want to ask the worship team to come up. We're going to sing the chorus, I think, of Scandal of Grace because these are scandals of grace. They didn't fit the norm. Jesus was, wasn't doing what the, the, the teachers of the day, the religious leaders said. You, you should treat these people as sinners, as outcasts. Don't get near them. Don't touch them. He doesn't go with our norms. And he doesn't want you to put norms on him that say that you're untouchable. He says, no. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted. We're going to sing this chorus, I think, twice. If you'd stand and do that, I'm going to give us a benediction as we go. It's going to be from Psalm 34. Just a few selections there. It says, I sought the Lord and he answered me. Both Peter and the leper did that. And he delivered me from all my fears. And those who look to him are radiant. Think that leper was radiant and their faces will never be ashamed oh taste and see that the Lord is good how blessed is the man who takes refuge in him the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and he delivers those who are crushed in spirit if you know him you've been delivered from the penalty of sin. You have life in his name. Taste again and see again that he is good. May your face be radiant this week with the love, the grace, the compassion of Christ so that others would know that he calls them to himself to come and find rest, to come and know life. And if you've never known him in that way, in this moment, 
You don't have to do it pretty. You don't have to do it scripted. Just got to say, you got me, God. Thank you for dying in my place on the cross. I trust you with my life. That's all you got to do. Again, those who look to him, their faces are radiant and will never be ashamed. May we radiate Christ this week as we go. Have a great week.